All right. If you would, please open up with me in, uh, in your Bibles to First Chronicles. If you don't have a Bible, Larry made eye contact with me, and so he's going to hand you a Bible if you raise your hand. <laughs> it, if, you, if you need a Bible, Larry volunteered so graciously to get you one. <laughs> Anybody need them? Everybody have a handout? This handout is pretty, it's pretty nice. It's a little different. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention a few of the differences uh, in this handout after we pray. <clears throat> Let's go to the Lord in prayer for tonight's lesson. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come to you in prayer, uh, that we can call on your name to help us. And so, Father, we do ask for your help by your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us uh, a way uh, uh, that we might benefit even more from the reading of your word, particularly First and Second Chronicles, the history of your people. God, please bless our time in these books. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's becoming more and more apparent as I have, with y'all, continued into this study, and we're getting into some books that are a little longer. Uh, there's a little bit more, uh, uh, not necessarily substance. All the books of the Bible have substance in it, but, but there's, there's much to cover. And so remembering the purpose is so vital, and it's why I keep repeating it every time we get together, every Wednesday. It's because, honestly, in a 30, 35-minute, 40-minute Bible study, there's just no way for us to chapter by chapter and verse by verse cover the entirety of Scripture or a First Chronicles and Second Chronicles or even just a little bit of it. And so uh, uh, what we're seeking to do and what, what I hope uh, y'all have been getting are specific tools to dive into these books. Uh, some books that we might be familiar with, we might not be familiar with, but at the end of the day, uh, you might hear a nugget and you might hold on to it. You might have your hand out. You might hold on to that. Uh, you might remember something that will help you as maybe you open up First and Second Chronicles again one day. Say uh, your minister were to begin a sermon series on such or something like that. Don't worry, that's not our next sermon series. Uh, but that would be a long one, right? Uh, and so something like this would, would help us as we would kind of begin to look into it. A Bible study, Sunday school class, you know, the quarterlies marching through this or something like that. We would have uh, a remembrance of some of the larger themes. Uh, it's, I'm becoming more and more convinced myself uh, that we need to remember that as we hit some of these larger books. And uh, having said that, First and Second Chronicles, it's a historical book. Uh, in all likelihood, probably the last, uh, I keep saying book because it's really one. It's just like First and Second Kings and really First Samuel through Second Kings. When it, it, they're joined, uh, they're one, uh, the kingdom's books. Uh, and, and then now we have First and Second Chronicles, which is really the Chronicles. Uh, and it's probably the last book in the historical Old Testament canon to be written. And by that, I mean uh, the, the latest, uh, which is kind of in the early 500s B.C. in all likelihood. Uh, this is post-exile, in other words. So they have been exiled, and it's somewhere there when they're, when they're coming back or when they've, re when they've arrived at Jerusalem again and the temple's being rebuilt. It's, it's somewhere around there 
that the Chronicles are being written. It's important, and we'll see that in a moment. Uh, so so that it's, it's just like 1 Samuel through 2 Kings in that we see a recording of the history of God's people, and we see in some places identical passages where we see uh, certain kings listed, we see certain people listed, certain events listed, uh, but then in some, some very interesting ways, uh, it is quite different. It's a retelling of the story from a different point of view. A good example of this, uh, if you feel uncomfortable with that wording, is the Gospels. Uh, we actually have this very same phenomenon happening with the Gospels of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a retelling of the same story, and yet all of the retellings are absolutely true. They're the capital T truth, they're scripture, the Holy Spirit has inspired them, and yet uh, very different retellings. You read Matthew and you see uh, certain things being emphasized the prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled, Christ uh, being, uh, as it were, the king coming. John, you see God coming. In Matthew, you see God coming too, but Matthew's emphasizing Jesus as the king. John is clearly emphasizing Jesus as God. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I am the gate. He's taking God's name in his mouth. Uh, Jesus says it and people fall to the ground. We preached on that uh, in, during the Easter week. Uh, we see all of these different examples in Luke, the great physician. We see Luke recording certain details because in all likelihood he was walking up to somebody, say Peter's mother, uh, Peter's mother-in-law says, hey, I heard you were sick when Jesus came to your house. What were you sick with? She said, oh, I was sick with a very high fever. And so when he's writing his compilation of Luke and Acts to O great Theophilus, you see that Peter's mother-in-law had a very high fever. Uh, you see the same thing with Mary. How in the world did Luke know what Mary's saying? Because in all likelihood, Luke said, hey, Mary, what did you sing? I heard you sang a song. And then he recorded the words. And so we see different emphases because he's a doctor. If you know any of the doctors, same thing with lawyers, you get different emphases. And so here we see in First and Second Chronicles the same thing as we compare it to First Samuel through Second Kings. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, uh, the kingdoms, uh, as we might call them, in another place. Uh, so a, a retelling at a different time. How do we dive into these chronicles? Uh, there are three things that I think will help us a lot uh, as we seek to, uh, uh, with benefit, read through the Chronicles. This, this is the, uh, the year reading breaker. I've mentioned this before, and you, know, you could have problems with Leviticus and make it. You could have problems with the kings in First and Second Kings, but okay, I made it. First Chronicles, chapters 1 through 9. It's the year reading plan breaker. It is the complete genealogy of God's people from Adam all the way through the exile. And it is exhaustive. Uh, uh, and I mean that in that it records all of it. I don't mean that it's exhausting when you read God's word, right? Um, <laughs> that's sort of a joke. Uh, I've mentioned this before from the pulpit, uh, convicted uh, David Stevens 
uh, because he actually in the Sunday school just before that sermon uh, was reading in Revelation and came to a genealogy and said, oh, we don't need to read that and then moved past. And then in the same Sunday, uh, I said, never skip the genealogies. Uh, and David just kind of sinking into the pulpit. And Kara, of course, was looking at him. And uh, I was wondering why he was so convicted at God's word at that point. But I found out later uh, why. So uh, this one is a little more intense than the Revelation genealogy, though. Uh, this one is nine chapters long. Levi's genealogy, which we'll mention later, 81 verses. This is a large and extensive genealogy. What in the world are we supposed to do with it? Uh, how, how do we profitably dive in to something like that? Where, say, in First Chronicles chapter 1, we just start from the beginning. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubel, and we keep going. What are we to do with these things? Uh, do we feel overwhelmed with it? How, how can we move through it? Well, the first thing to do uh, is to not get lost in the genealogy. Recognize why it's there. If we're working systematically and we realize why this genealogy is here in the text and why other genealogies likewise are in the text, we can begin to at least have a framework to where you know, we start reading in chapter 1, verse 1, and we think, what have I entered into here? Adam, I know Adam, Seth, maybe, Enosh, and, and then you're lost, and you lose it. As we, as we remember systematically what's happening, uh, we, can, we can at least begin to move through it in a, in a way that is knowledgeable. And here's the deal. What the chronicler, uh, or those who are compiling the chronicles, uh, what, what he's doing here is revealing the fact that God has preserved his people from Adam through the good, the bad, the ugly, the good again, the bad again, the ugly, the good, and on and on, all the way through to the very moment where, if these people were reading it, and they, say, went over here and they were uh, uh, reading, you know, say, First Chronicles chapter 9, and you're talking about the returned exiles, and, you know, say in chapter 9, verse 5, you see the, the Shalonites. You think, oh my goodness, I'm a Shalonite. And then you're reading verse 5, say, oh, that's Aiah, that's granddaddy. That's granddaddy. He's here. And then you read his sons. I, I'm one of his sons. And you realize all of a sudden, that God, from Adam to Asaniah, your granddaddy, and his sons, has been there preserving the line. Uh, it's a systematic reality uh, where we need to begin to realize that God himself is preserving. And when we see genealogies, it's revealed. And it really helps us. Even if we still kind of struggle and say, hey, I don't know how to pronounce the names. I'm not sure how to do this or do that we still have the ability to recognize that God is here and God is preserving. And it helps us to begin to maneuver with this large chunk of text that either we try to do and fall asleep and stop reading our yearly plans, which I hear all the time, or we kind of you know, look to see what the yearly plan says. We're like, okay, that's a couple days. Like, I'll skip that and be ahead that way. And, and you kind of, boom, you just throw out nine chapters of God-inspired scripture. 
which is never good. And so uh, all of a sudden we have a way, a systematic way to be knowledgeable about the genealogy. That's the first thing. It's very important, uh, recognizing why it's here. Uh, and then one more thing, and this is just kind of a practical thing that my one of my Old Testament professors told me. Uh, and he, this is by no means uh, uh, kind of... Um, uh, a concrete principle that you should do every time you read a genealogy or something like that. Uh, but he told me something one time when I was asking him about genealogies in the scriptures, and he said that it is okay as God's people are reading through the Bible uh, to read it in a way uh, that does not cover each syllable and each word of the genealogy. See what's happening. Recognize that the first chapter is Adam to Abraham. Who is Adam? Who is Abraham? And then you can begin to remember, oh, this might be in Genesis. And so you might put that away in your notes and you might think, oh, yeah, I might look at that later to see about that time. Or you might be intrigued by it and you might stop there and you might say, well, I wonder, I wonder if I might be able to find, uh, you know, Seth. I remember Seth, he's the son of Adam, but didn't something happen between that? And then you're able to kind of look maybe online, you might type in his name or something, Seth, Bible, Genesis, and then, oh, it pops up and you say, oh yeah, that's, that's really early in the Genesis narrative. Okay. Uh, and so you can kind of read that, but as you continue on, you know, and you're reading about the sons of Gomer, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a moment where, uh, you can lament because you say, ah, I can't remember Ashkenaz, Riphoth, and Togermah. <sighs> uh, not to make light of them at all. It's just a moment where uh, as we seek to read God's word in its entirety, which is noble, uh, don't get caught up uh, in every single syllable, particularly when you come to names and things like that. Recognize what's going on. Read it knowledgeably. Don't ignore it, uh, but also don't go into a haze uh, recognize that you might do that as you're seeking to continue to read uh, nine chapters of very important information, but uh, be like if we were reading the census of Centennial, it would be very interesting that you might go into a haze because of it, even if you knew some of the people. Recognize that these are God's people and that God preserves us as he's preserving them and move through it knowledgeably. Uh, it can be very helpful, so don't ignore it, uh, but but don't don't lose sight of a yearly reading plan or something like that, uh, if that is your endeavor, uh, maybe even this year. Let's see. We, it may be past Chronicles already. Anybody doing a yearly reading plan? Have you already made it past Chronicles 1 through 9? I, I, I do a different reading plan, and so I don't do the, the kind of typical yearly one. But anyways, it, it can be quite overwhelming if you're not used to it and if you're not thinking about it that way. Okay, that's the first thing because it's the first part of Chronicles 1 through 9. <clears throat> The second thing that we need, uh, a tool, as it were, a thought process as we're diving into the Chronicles, is to recognize the retelling differences. Now, I had mentioned this before, that, uh, that, you know, that there is great similarity in the First Samuel through Second Kings uh, history telling and the First and Second Chronicles history telling, uh, and, and, and there are differences. You can... You can certainly read First and Second Chronicles having never read First Samuel through Second Kings. However, the chroniclers, the compilers of, of the books of First and Second Chronicles, are assuming that you are familiar with First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel before that. They, they are assuming on that information and retelling the story. 
First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel before that came first. And so now with that information and with a lot of other information, the chronicler or the chroniclers uh, are, are preparing something and retelling something within a specific moment in time for a specific people. And so uh, as we kind of begin to look and see uh, what these retelling differences are, it will be very beneficial to us when we're actually trying to move through the meat of the text. This is where the handout begins to differ a little bit uh, uh, than usual. And if you notice on the back, um, on the back of the uh, uh, handout, under the solid rock verses, typically these these are just kind of boom listed out one after the other of you know maybe particularly poignant passages, ones that we might do well to remember, ones that uh, uh, that would you know that. Um, our first among equals as far as revelation of Jesus Christ, you know, all, things like that. Uh, but in, in this section for Chronicles, I have a, a layout of the summary of, of, of where the Chronicles are and how that compares to 1 Samuel through 2 Kings. Uh, and, and then I have some examples within the solid rock verses uh, within these sections uh, that that will start to reveal to us uh, some of the differences that we find. Uh, uh, an easy way to work through these differences uh, is such: omission, addition, and alteration. The first section is omission, and the easiest way to explain this one is the northern kingdoms. If you recall last week, if you were here with us, if not, go back and listen to it. There was a large chunk, a third actually, uh, devoted to prophets going to the northern kingdom of Israel. More than that, uh, we also saw a recording of the Israelite kings. That's the northern rebellious kingdom. The kingdom that's not of the line of Judah. The non-Messianic line. Well... In Chronicles, you won't find Israel. Israel doesn't matter to the Chronicles. Uh, this is a first and big, important moment where uh, by the total and absolute omission of the entire history of the rebellious northern kingdom, they are putting an exclamation point on the end of a sentence that says there is only one kingly line that matters, and it's the line of David. Because the line of David is the line that God promised he would establish forever. That's the truth. No other rebellious kingly line matters. That's just a rebellion. That was judged, by the way, and no longer exists. We are here standing in Jerusalem again. And more than that, we know who the Davidic line is running through. You see this as you see Zerubbabel, you know, trace through, and we'll see that in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, so that's the first big moment uh, where we're looking at the retelling of the story. It's important for us to remember that there is omission. The largest one, my goodness, the whole northern kingdom. Uh, another really great example of uh, omission is David and Solomon's sins. Y'all know about David and Solomon's sins, right? Uh, there weren't many recorded, but they were really bad when they were recorded, right? Uh, uh, remember David and Bathsheba. Well, let's see what Chronicles has to say about David 
in Bathsheba. Uh, let's go to First Chronicles 20. Remember, we're, we've addressed the first nine chapters, which is the genealogy, how to at least deal with that. And now we're in the second part, which is recognizing some differences in the retelling of the story. This is a really, a really good example of this. Chapter 20, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, Joab led out the army and ravaged the country of the Ammonites and came and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem and Joab struck down Rabbah and overthrew it. That's great. Let's go to, uh, quickly, 2 Samuel chapter 11. You don't have to flip there if you, if you don't want to. Uh, 2 Samuel 11. Keep your finger in Chronicles because we'll just flip right back. We're going to be kind of doing this a little bit. Uh, 2 Samuel, just a few books back. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, this is the same recorded history. This is history being recorded. In the spring of the year, oh, we're starting similarly. The time when the kings go out to battle, okay, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. There you go. You got it. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And so Kings then records the great and heinous sin of God's king, David. Chronicles doesn't record that. Uh, Solomon is the same way. Uh, Do you all remember how many wives and concubines Solomon had? Larry's nodding his head on that one, so you <laughs> so add it up to a thousand. Wow. Let's go to let's go to that's that's quite a that's quite a few. Uh, that's quite a few. Uh, I see some guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's go to Second uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter eight. Second Chronicles chapter eight, verse eleven. Second Chronicles chapter eight, verse 11. So David, he stayed in Jerusalem. That's all he did in Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter eight, verse 11. Here we go. Here's the one mention that we have of Solomon's wives. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the house that he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not live in the house of David, king of Israel. For the places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. My wife. I guess we're missing 999. Uh, the, mo- the moment comes where it's very obvious. Anyone reading the Chronicles, as they're standing in Jerusalem, the chronicler handing it out, they know about Solomon's wives. They know about Bathsheba. Solomon was Bathsheba's son, after all. They know. But there's an emphasis that's being laid out, and it's just like the total omission of the northern kingdom. Yes, David and Solomon sinned. Yes, God promised that through them there would be an eternal throne that would last literally forever. 
Yes, they sinned. And yes, God promised to them everlasting life and reign. There's an emphasis, a retelling of the story. Differences in the emphasis. What's another way that we can see this? Addition. We just did omission. Now let's do addition. Uh, There was a king that came before King David, King Saul. Uh, Let's see what Chronicles has to say about Saul. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 10. 1 Chronicles chapter 10. So we just did omission. We've seen some larger things and examples of that. Now we're looking at an addition uh, of the chronicler. Uh, This is where uh, the chronicles are revealing something that we haven't had yet, uh, that we maybe didn't necessarily know, or we could only infer. Uh, We we would kind of think, yes, I think that was why. Uh, Now we see in 1 Chronicles, uh, um, excuse me, I... 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord and that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance rather than seeking the Lord. That's my own commentary there. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So that's, that's entirely inferable. From the king's story. But when we come to Saul's death, all we got in the end of 2 Samuel was Saul's death. Let me fall on my sword. I'm about to die. I don't want to die at the hands of the Philistines. Kill me now. Uh, and then boom, dead. And then some stuff happens. But, but there's no commentary. But now here we see why did the kingdom go over to David? Why did God remove his blessing from Saul? Well, he died for his breach of faith. He died because he consulted a medium rather than the Lord God Almighty who had anointed him king in the first place. It's an addition. It helps us to see what's going on. Uh, Another example of, of an addition is the bad king Manasseh. Bad king Manasseh. Let's look at uh, bad king Manasseh in 2 Kings uh, chapter 21 first, and then we'll see what Chronicles has to say of him. This is a Judean king nearing the end. Uh, Manasseh is close to the very end when the exile is certain, uh, where, where, the, the, uh, where God uh, is about to bring down his hand of judgment because of the sins of the Judean people. Uh, and, and it's really at the head uh, of Manasseh. So we see here in 2 Kings chapter 21 a story about Manasseh. This is verses 10 through 16. The Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle and I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab and I will wipe Jerusalem 
as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides the sins that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did, the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Not the chronicles that we're reading, the chronicles of the kings of Judah, a lost document. And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah. And Ammon, his son, reigned in his place. Now let's see what Chronicles has to say about Manasseh. Remember, Manasseh is a Judean king. Uh, he is a very bad king, a king that has done much evil, a king that has sacrificed innocent blood. A heinous sin. Let's see what Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 33. Second Chronicles chapter 33, nearing the end even of Second Chronicles because it is almost the end. Bad King Manasseh. This is the Judean line, the line that God blesses, recall. Remember the emphasis that the chronicler is placing on that Judean line, the line of Jesus Christ, the line God promised he would work through. Second Chronicles chapter 33, uh, verses 12 through 16. And when he, that is Manasseh, was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty, and heard his plea, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David, west of Gihon, in the valley, and for the entrance into the fish gate, and carried around Ophel and raised it to a very great uh, a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities in Judah, and he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving and he commanded judah to serve the lord the god of israel what it's a different piece of the story if you recall with me first and second kings first and second samuel they were deuteronomy centric you recall that deuteronomistic is the word that I used deuteronomy centric uh, deuteronomy focusing on the blessings and the curses that comes with the obedience to the law well we see in second chronicles a different emphasis a priestly emphasis a levitical emphasis one that focuses on God's promise to his people and presence with them particularly in the temple and so we see here Bad King Manasseh is going straight to heaven. This is a, a strong moment to recognize that even the most heinous of sinners can be called by God into his presence by faith in him. 
it, is, it is tough to think about when you read fully what Manasseh do, uh, had done, and yet, in the blood of Jesus Christ, his sins, he was washed white as snow. A beautiful moment for the gospel, and a reality that's playing itself out within the Davidic line. He knew that the Lord was God. Powerful. Bad King Manasseh. A different emphasis in Chronicles. And these things play themselves out uh, as you begin to read. One final thing before we get to the, kind of the last part, a few more words, is alteration. Uh, uh, alteration of the text. Not implying that, uh, that God's word is being warped or something like that, but it, it's, just a, it's actually a, a different word is used. Uh, and you think, wait, how does that work? A good example, and uh, we won't flip there just because of time, but uh, it's at the end of 2 Samuel uh, in chapter 24. It's the census of David. And uh, in that, it says that the Lord incited him uh, and that was very angry with him. And he was tempted, that is, David was tempted to take a census of the people. We mentioned that it was probably in pride, maybe out of fear or something like that. Well, we get a different story in First Chronicles chapter 21. Satan tempted him, actually. That's what we see the text say. Well, who was it? Was it God or was it Satan? I would just pose one question to you, and I hope that you would answer right. Who's in control, God or Satan? I hope that you would say God, because God is in control. Uh, Satan isn't in control. Satan isn't even in control of hell. You know, you see the cartoon pictures. You see the little red devil with the pitchfork kind of poking people. And, oh, it's kind of funny. But you think, yeah, Satan's kind of, he's got this kingdom of hell or something like that. By no means. God cast people into the lake of fire. It is God's lake of fire. And Satan is being cast there too into the pit of destruction. Uh, Satan is a, is a mere tool that God has used in his divine providence and wisdom. Some of which we cannot know. And yet, we see uh, that God, even here, is using in his providence Satan as he tempts even one of his most dearest of servants, David. It's an alteration. It's a change in the story. And yet, it reveals something more that is happening. And it falls right in line. It gives us more information to work with and a much fuller picture of what God is doing. An alteration. Another example is that uh, of the giving of wisdom to Solomon, things like that. You'll see it if you are comparing texts as you read through. All of these omissions, additions, and alterations, uh, they're really seeking to just reveal the emphases of this book. Just like we talked about the emphases of uh, the Deuteronomy-centric books, 1 Samuel through 2 Kings. Well, there's a, there's a, a Levitical, a priestly emphasis in First and Second Chronicles of God's controlling power, uh, his, his working through the, the covenant of David and his working in his own presence with his people manifested in the temple at this time, uh, manifested ultimately in Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit that dwells within us uh, in our time. Um, our body is a temple, if you recall that text from the New Testament. So uh, we see this, uh, this different Emphasis, and uh, if you were looking for a good example uh, of this different emphasis, uh, uh, I'll we'll go quickly through this, um, just so we're not uh, going too late. Uh, but a good example of this kind of Levite, this priestly centric emphasis, uh, we can find it in the expanded story of Uzzah, Ahio, and the Ark. 
We mentioned this one before when we were in Samuel. Uh, if you want to, uh, go with me to First Chronicles chapter 13. First Chronicles 13. Uh, so Uzzah, if you recall, uh, he reached out in that Samuel story and boom, touched the ark because it was falling over. It was on a cart and he died because he touched the ark and he wasn't supposed to touch the ark. Uh, God's holiness was manifested there. We as unholy people can't come into the presence of God's holiness, particularly at this time. And so he's dead and he's gone. And David is very angry and he doesn't understand. That's what we see uh, in uh, the Samuel story. Second Samuel chapter six. Well, first Chronicles chapter 13, we see the same story happening. Uh, David consulted with his commanders. Uh, he went to the assembly, said, great, let's get this thing. Verse five of chapter 13 of first Chronicles. So David assembled all Israel uh, and they all went up to Kiriath Jerim. This is verse seven. They carried the ark of God on a new cart. I'm glad he got a new one. From the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. Now they were driving the cart. There's more information happening. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might. And, and you see on and on it goes. And then when they came to the threshing floor, this is verse 9 of Kaidon. Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled. And then, of course, the same story ensues. He dies. David doesn't understand. He's angry. Uh, the ark stays there. We get a little bit of a break. And then let's go to chapter 15 of First Chronicles. Let's just read a little bit here. Verse 1. David had built houses for himself in the city. He prepared a place for the ark. Okay. Pinched a tent. David said that... Here we go. Verse 2. David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. And then we see David assembling 120 uh, uh, Kohathites, 220 Merorites, 130 Gershomites. All of these being of the priestly class, the priestly tribe of Levi. All of these things are happening. And then we go on. Verse 13, because you did not carry it, speaking to the Levites, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. And here we go. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. And so we see an emphasis on the priestly moment that God's presence and manifestation means something. And that God has revealed a rule on what we should do now. We see that rule ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. But his presence here and this emphasis on God's presence, it's very clear. Not mentioned at all in 1st through 2nd Kings. We just kind of get how it got there finally and he did it right. Good thing. Uh, but here we see why. Uh, we see this because we see all kinds of temple specifications in the Chronicles. We see a much expanded uh, temple emphasis as Solomon is dedicating it. Uh, the temple is important. There is a moment uh, where you begin to see the emphases. My history professor said this when we were going through First 
Samuel through 2 Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And, and it was so powerful to me because it's so applicable to us now. This biblical story, he's talking about the Chronicles. He's talking about this history. This biblical story is retold with specific intentions and Jesus Christ can be seen in it and more fully when we take the histories together. Here's my advice. This is only advice, though, uh, because you can benefit from reading God's word however you so desire to read God's word. Read God's word, first of all, if you are looking for a profitable way to dive into 1 Samuel through 2 Kings and First and Second Chronicles. I would read them together. I would either read that history narrative and then immediately following it, read First and Second Chronicles, or I would read the passages that correlate and look for what I said. Omission, addition, alteration. Because there will be great benefit as you look to see what is God by his Holy Spirit seeking to reveal in the text in this moment. With your handouts, you'll know the emphases that are being placed in each, the Deuteronomy-centric, the priestly-centric, the Levitical-centric. You'll see different themes, and yet the same theme, Jesus Christ. As you read them together, and as you see these important facets of each, it will really help as you dive into it. This, uh, this moment, as we finish with First and Second Chronicles, we have completed the Old Testament history. Every other book that we enter into now is in this. All the prophets, the, the, some of the wisdom literature might have been compiled outside of it, like say some of the Psalms and things. They might have been trying to get, they might have been trying to get their ARP Psalm book up and running. Uh, but, but the Psalms were already there. In all likelihood, we have all of the history of the Old Testament now in brackets from Genesis all the way through uh, the Israelites coming back into Jerusalem. Now we got to see some other stuff that's in that. And we get that with prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Jeremiah and all of the others, Zechariah. We get so much illumination. And yet we have all of the history and you have your handouts. You're able to read through the entire history of the Old Testament now. Uh, and, and that is a big step for us. Uh, we started this study quite a while ago. We're not quite halfway there, uh, but it can be very profitable for us. And, and I really think that the histories reveal that because, you know, we get the genealogy, we can get lost. Uh, we get the kings, we can get lost. We're reading, you know, we're reading in Chronicles and we're reading about kings. And if we're not familiar with the fact that Israel's not mentioned, we might actually get confused and be wondering why are they skipping so many kings? And, and th but we have it now, and we have it laid out, and now we can work through it, I hope, in a more profitable manner. Let's pray. I've got a few minutes to answer some questions if you have them. Heavenly Father, as we close what we see here recorded for us, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that uh, though this is a retelling of the story, uh, that this is the story, God that you have placed by your Holy Spirit uh, in this book here, a preserved reality of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and indeed, Father, your holiness and righteousness. And so God, as we look to see what we, uh, 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 as we look to see Jesus Christ and that good news that we are saved by faith in him 
And Lord, as we look to see alongside of that, how we might live unto you, God, I pray that we might be able to open up this piece of our Bible in a more profitable manner. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.